This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. The car has long been a central part of American life, whether we see it as a symbol of freedom or a symptom of sprawl. We define ourselves by what we drive and how we drive. In his new book, Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do and What It Says About Us, our guest today, Tom Vanderbilt, shows why driving is a revealing prison. Prism, sorry about that. For exam- It might be a prison, too, Mike. <laughs> For examining how our minds work and the ways in which we interact with one another, Vanderbilt writes about design, technology, science, and culture for Wired, Slate, and the New York Times. He lives in Brooklyn and drives a 2001 Volvo V40. Tom Vanderbilt, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hello. How are you today? Just fine. Thanks. Survived the, the Labor Day uh, traffic crunch here in New yeah. York. Yeah. You know, I, I heard that there were... Many, many less fatalities than usual this year, is, and probably because of the gas shortage. Yes, I was hoping it might be because of my uh, book, but it hasn't, really, <laughs> hasn't really been out long enough to uh, make an impact, I think. But, um, yeah, and last night I was coming back from New Jersey, and this is one of those strange situations you sometimes find as well where you think the traffic is just going to be sort of epic and colossal, and, in fact, it was some of the, 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 the least crowded roads I've ever seen, and I was home in, in one hour. So it just... That, that sort of randomness of the road. But indeed, I think people are you know, putting on less miles, as, as we've seen in all sorts of studies, based on uh, the economy and gas prices. How would you describe your driving? Uh, <laughs> average. <laughs> average? Yeah. Um, are, are, know, and I do drive a uh, somewhat small car, the, the Volvo, you know, in, in the Europe, you know, it sort of doesn't stand out. It's a very sort of you know, normal car. But here, it's a bit small. And I, you know, there's that whole thing on the road where you, I think you, adjust your behavior based on what you're driving. And yeah. I, I feel a little bit vulnerable out there, so I think uh, I'm definitely a little bit more cautious and, and alert. I've, I've driven larger vehicles, and I'm always amazed at how um, you know, it sort of changes the driving experience and how, how much less of the road you can feel. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you're saying, now do you have the sedan or the, the, the uh, station wagon? The wagon. Yeah. The wagon, yeah. So, so you say, I, I always like a smaller car, car for that exact reason, too. I don't mind... Uh, a suspension system that's tight so I can feel what I'm doing. You- yeah, and in New York, unfortunately, this off, too often means just hitting potholes, and you're sort of ah. you're most aware of the you know, poor state of our infrastructure. But no, your point is, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely correct, and they've even done, you know, there's various studies that, you know, the further you are off the road, the, the slower it you think you're going, and, you know, I, I wonder what part that plays in the whole rollover question, uh-huh. uh, because I, I sometimes see... SUVs driving at, at really high speeds, and I'm sort of wondering if the people really know the characteristics of, of the vehicle, the handling, at, at that sort of worst moment. Now, I, I've got. Have you ever owned an SUV? Have uh, you no. now or ever? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> and I've not inhaled any. <laughs> I've inhaled a lot of fumes from mm-hmm. SUVs, but no, I, no SUVs. Now, you know, one thing I've got to ask you, and I don't know if, uh, if, if you've run into this, but SUVs in oh. general block the view. Uh, you can get a wall of SUVs in front of you on a freeway. Have have insurance companies ever looked into that kind of uh, safety on an SUV, or are they just not even caring about those things? Well, uh, one researcher at Texas did study, uh, you know, the, the behavior of SUVs in intersections and you know, the sort of impact on the traffic flow. And they actually 
slow things down a bit. They make the flow worse because they take a little longer to accelerate. And again, because of what you're mentioning, that people have less knowledge of the of the view beyond the SUV, so they may back further away from the vehicle, which sort of puts more spacing between. Which so you're, you're getting sort of fewer cars through the intersection during that, you know, green cycle. Uh, um, and I, I find just on the highway, yeah, that I, I have to back off more, which isn't always a bad thing, but sometimes, you know, it, more more pressingly, the problem is that it, it reduces my knowledge of the traffic stream ahead. So I, yeah. I, I've become dependent on that one SUV. Is he braking? You know. Exactly. Yes. I, you know, I mean, you can't even focus. Sometimes with the regular car, I've looked, and you can focus a half mile ahead. Now, yeah, know, which it, all the people I've talked to, you know, so that, that's the key of, of really safe driving is just really looking down, look down the road as far as you can. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to reveal something about my techniques in driving here. No, and that it, is when, when I come up against well, this, this wall of uh, SUVs, We're, we live, uh, I live here in Orange County. And Orange County, I would be willing to bet, it's got one of the highest per capita uh, SUV drivers in, in the, on the planet. I mean, it is amazing to see them. And they're all over, and you're on the freeway, and you get behind a wall of them, and as Nathan said, you can't see around them. I get more aggressive. I want to <laughs> get around them. I want to get in front of them. That's my, that's my impulse when, I, when I'm faced with this, being surrounded by these things. And is I, and is I, that a good move? Is that a, think, is that a good idea? Well, no. I mean, you know, I, I, it's never a good idea, I think, to drive more aggressively. But, it's, it, but you, you raise a really interesting point, which is that, and this is something that's almost beyond study in a way, but just the way that we react to other vehicles on the road. And we, we all have sort of our own stereotypes and our right, own right. favorite cars or favorite cars to hate. Yeah. And how... How that know, affects the way we drive. Yeah. I mean, you might be a nice person driving a BMW, but there are a lot of people out there who don't like BMWs. There are a right. lot of people who do like BMWs. Right. So, you know... I, I drove a smart car here in New York a little while ago uh, for a weekend, and you know that little yeah, tiny uh-huh. Daimler Chrysler thing. And uh, people were sort of coming up to me at intersections and, and waving and yeah. incredibly friendly. So I was sort of like a little toy poodle out on the road. <laughs> um, and you know, I don't know if I would have gotten that sort of joy from other types of cars. And it just reawakened my interest in this whole topic of you know how we just make these subtle adjustments and well those those things are popping up all over again once again being from south county orange county a lot of money a lot of play money here and those things are popping up all, quite a bit now uh, yeah, i see down uh, along uh, the coast highway here a lot of them and it's so, sort of like the local vehicle for it's becoming it's or? yeah when 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 you have this kind of uh, disposable income you can you can afford a third car <laughs> and uh, and and these people and i'm seeing really i've seen at least 20 of them in the last, I'd say, month, which, you know, is a lot. You notice them, right? I, maybe that's why they're, I'm, I'm noticing them, because they're so out, out of character for this area. We're speaking with Tom Vanderbilt. The book is Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do and What It Says About Us. Now, what causes the most stress when people are driving? Is there a particular traffic situation that really uh, gets people going? Well, I mean... The- Texas Transportation Institute found in one study a survey of drivers, so you know, take that with a grain of salt, but I, I would definitely side with some of this, is that uh, merging was the uh, number one issue. Uh-huh. Now, do you think that that has to do with a competitive nature, that I'm not going to let someone get in front of me, or is it just that people don't know how to dance? Well, a little bit of both, I think, because mm-hmm. y- you do find that, um, you know, a lot of people griping about people not entering the freeway at the, at the required speed when coming on an on-ramp, and that there's often a lot of, you know, sort of hiccuping going on in that right lane. But I, I do think people carry over their 
knowledge of, of queuing behavior you know, uh-huh. to, the, to the road. And if you were waiting in line at the post office and, you know, I don't know, if someone tried to cut in front of you, you would get angry. And, and we, you know, so we're very sensitive to that. And I, I think uh, we somehow put a value on this road space, even though it's very fleeting and doesn't really belong to us anyway. But um, and especially <laughs> in heavy traffic, you're fighting for every every inch you can get. And uh, yeah, so Nathan put a name to this, and that I some time ago in regards to merging, I was driving with him one day, and and I think if everyone observed this rule, it's called. I don't think you can say that on the radio. I though. think it, well, if if you if you just do the zipper effect, essentially, if everyone thinks of the road as a zipper as you merge in into traffic. And there's on, the only yeah. one way for that zipper to move forward is for the for those things to line up one right after the other, one behind the other. Then we want to fit we, your teeth together. Yeah, yeah. you you want to fit the teeth of the zipper together. That seems to me the rule that if everyone just thought about that, we would be much. It would be a much safer endeavor, wouldn't it? Yeah, and this is actually what got me started on the whole project because I was in one of those merging situations at a construction zone, and I one day was frustrated, and I. I, I left the queue that was forming and, and went to that closing lane and used that to work my way all the way to the front. Yeah. And I found that when they've done these sort of surveys, uh, studies and done a dynamic late merge, as they call it, um, where it would advise drivers to use both lanes all the way to that zipper point you're talking about. Because people people get over early, because like me, formally, because they think it's polite. But, you know, if you look at it from a system point of view, it seems to actually make the system perform less well. So it's a weird case where... Social niceties don't equal well, you're, to you're, um, you know throughput, as the engineers say. So you're saying if you if you take that third lane and that nobody else is in to, to kind of force yourself up to the front of the line, that's more efficient. Yeah, if everyone just sort of viewed those those lanes as available road capacity and, and didn't vacate earlier than they really needed to gotcha. in heavy traffic, because gotcha. um, you know I think people and and that also makes the queue go further back. And it, it would be better to make the merging happen at one point. When, mm. when it says merge right one mile, that gives you a mile of merging opportunities, which just seems to create more sort of, you know, chaos than but did, one. But did you have sort of an internal dialogue as you were moving up into that third lane, thinking to yourself, you know, I'm, I really am jumping. I'm uh, being a bad boy. I'm being sort of, you know, socially unacceptable here. Absolutely. And, and, <laughs> and I had more than internal, I had an external, because my wife was in the car, and she uh. really didn't like what I was doing, and I, 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 I haven't seen studies on this, but I do think men might late merge more often, um, yeah. you know, yeah. based on the other risk-taking behavior we seem prone to. But yeah, I felt bad about it, so I, I, that's in a way what got me looking to see if there was a way that what I had done could somehow be construed as a good thing. <laughs> now, now in that study, I wonder that 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 requires a cooperative uh, group of drivers in order to make that work. I, I would think, in order to make that uh, a, a better traffic situation. Yes. Um, yeah. you, know, you still have to merge one-on-one at the they point. Have, if, if you get yeah. large queues of uh, platoons of vehicles, you know, not letting the others go in, then it sort of messes up. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and I see that more often than not. A lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, grief and, and venom expressed <sighs> at the point of merge. And then you have two people right next to each other that... I, I guess have some sort of hatred going on. Well, the, yeah, there's a rage going speaking on. Speaking of stress, as we were talking yeah. about earlier, th- this leads le- leads me to bring up something, and uh, to go along with Nathan's point, and that is what I call the uh, the vigilante driver, mm-hmm. that the people that are uh, are imposing their form of justice on on others by the way that they drive, and that would take seem to me to take effect when you have the 
the the the person the outlaw in the in that third line trying to merge with the other two is that is that something that uh sounds right oh absolutely and this was something that you know and and that impulse survives even the new system because in Minnesota they tried this late merging system that I'm describing and people wouldn't change their behavior they wouldn't <laughs> go all the way to the front and right. you still found people especially truck drivers seemingly mm-hmm. uh block straddling you know yeah, yeah. occupying two lanes yeah. and um yeah and i just i guess we have these deep rooted and that's sort of the problem with traffic is, you know, we all have sort of different ideas of how it should work, what the actual rules are, sort of mental models, if you will. And, yeah, more or less these things are, are the same, but often yeah. often they're sort of different. There's no way to communicate that except through just sheer kind of force. I, I, I've got to believe that the American driver is among the most surveyed <laughs> driver in, on the planet, given that this is such a marketplace for, for, the, uh, for selling autos, automobiles. And I'm sure the manufacturers want to know everything they can possibly know about us. Yeah, and, and you know the surveys are, are tend to be a bit slippery, and but but we're also doing a lot of things now. And of course, in, in the U.S., we're sort of ahead of this. Is that um, we're really putting cameras in cars for the first time in, in a psychological way for, for over the course of a year. And these are cameras that only activate during sort of the most uh, extreme moments of driving, excessive braking. And but we're, we're really you know learning a lot now about the way people really drive. Where before it was sort of you know surveys and this kind of inner life of the driver was was really absent. So. There's a couple studies going on right now with with NHTSA, the you know the U.S. highway folks here, and uh, mm-hmm. so we we definitely we we do study a lot of we have a lot to study. Well, we we certainly do. <laughs> We're speaking with Tom Vanderbilt. The book is Traffic: Why We Drive the Way We Do and What It Says About Us. And is so let's let's pretend that we do have a cooperative society and that and merging is going to make traffic uh, uh, better for us. And when we know that's going to happen, if we do have a, a cooperative society. What are th- other things can we do uh, to, to make it easier on, on the road to save some gasoline and to have more, more weekends like the one we just had? Well, I mean, the first thing would be, you know, of course, for people to, uh, well, if you want to save gas, of course, driving slower, which would also, as it did in 1974, probably reduce the fatality rate. And again, we've, we've seen that drop this year, and, and some of it is low gas prices, but there's some evidence that people are actually changing their behavior on the road. And in fact, the Schneider uh, Trucking Company, one of the largest national trucking companies, has, has put a 60 mile an hour cap on its uh, big rigs, um, really? essentially really? to save fuel. Um, but y- studies also seem to indicate that that would just be good for safety as well. So, I mean, it's funny, and one, each place has its own little different set of issues, but in New York, one great non cooperative behavior is we call it blocking the box, you know, when a person goes through the red light or they get stuck in the intersection. They thought they could make the red light or they uh-huh. simply didn't care. And that one vehicle then is now blocking a full on-stream, you know, yeah. uh, oncoming other lane of traffic, which it's been estimated even if Manhattan were in, in full gridlock, full catastrophic gridlock, 60% of the road space would actually be empty. It's all just these sort of intersection tie-ups with, you know, conflicting streams caught up in. So just that, I mean, that's the case where just one person behavior could really yeah. have, an, have an improvement if they changed it. Now, I know in L.A. that's a, a really uh, a high-ticketed offense that they'll – I don't know exactly what the penalty is, but it's it's not a pleasant one. Is that what they're doing in uh, New York now? They're trying to raise it. Unfortunately, it has to go through Albany, you know, it, which most of the rest of the state doesn't really suffer from this. It's a really a New York thing. But um, another issue is that police could formally only issue tickets and, you know, the – 
chance of being caught was sort of random, but now they're trying to give uh, parking agents the ticketing authority for people blocking the box. So, uh, Is there any – we here in California have fallen in love with uh, cameras at our intersections. Is that something that's, uh, that's taking place at all in, in New York City? No, but well, speaking of blocking the box, I was just just come from London, and there they even have cameras specifically for blocking the box, not just red light running or speed, but you know if you're sitting in that intersection. So there is a way to you know mm-hmm. prevent the behavior with kind of the most draconian you know, response. But uh, New York, we only have a handful of cameras again that they have to they have to run through New York State Legislature, which seems not so keen on them, and so we're not embracing them uh, quite so much yet. Hmm. So. Go ahead, Mike. No, I'm just going to say, going. I just I brought up Los Angeles and New York. They're both infamous for their traffic, for their their traffic issues. Is there a difference uh, in terms of quantity, quality of gridlock, and uh, the differences <laughs> between <laughs> of, of uh, between New York and Los Angeles? Do we do do the people? I just that question, I guess. I mean, we both have significant traffic issues. How are they different? Yeah, I mean, because they, they both do occupy, you know, they're heavy in the top ten of, you know, congestion hotspots. And, uh, I mean, I think, I think L.A. definitely comes out a little bit ahead, but New York has particular bottlenecks that are yeah. really bad. But um, I would say, based on some of the stuff I've seen, I mean, L.A. definitely has a faster flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was they've even had to revise the highway capacity manual slightly because of new data gleaned from the inductor loops that you find buried in the highway because... People were, people were just pushing it more. Basically, they were following closer and driving faster mm-hmm. than was previously thought possible based on you know, engineering. Yeah. So they had to get, And just a little bit more anecdotally, I, I find that um, people don't honk as much in Los Angeles yeah. as in uh, New York. I don't know if it's a laid-back, <laughs> stereotypical California lifestyle or just that people are more accustomed to being in their car or, or what. Well, I think that's some of it. I also think the technology of the cars that we now drive – are so much better than they were 10 or 15 years ago in terms of our ability to brake, accelerate, to uh, maneuver. We, we have better vehicles now, so we're able to do what I, what I refer to as blue angel driving. Essentially, we're, we're in some, you see people on the freeways, and they, they look like a formation of the blue angels flying as they, as they weave their way through traffic. Uh, and that's, I think that's a function of just we have better cars. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree. And I mean, to the extent that we really always know those capabilities is, is an open question. Right, and right. then, of course, our reaction times have not changed. We haven't evolved yet. We'll probably need another, you know, million years of driving. Right, um, right. So, you know, and introducing things like cell phones into cars, you know, you still can't get over those fundamental human reaction times and stopping distances. But our, but our confidence level, we have airbags, we have these, we you know, sort of, we, where there's a, maybe a false sense of security when we get into these situations, but it still feels like we... We, we have better cars. So I, I know I can stop faster. I mean, that's yeah, – yeah. so, so there's some of that, I think. And I think people are also on longer commutes with each year. They're, you know, pushing out into uh, the Inland Empire, those areas. And, and it seems like the longer your commute is, from some evidence I've seen, the, the faster you drive, basically, to try to make up for lost time. Yeah. I have I have no idea why we don't honk as much though. It's, <laughs> unless it might be a, a cultural reason. And, and maybe we are more laid back. Uh, is our cult- do cultural uh, do areas and cultural uh, attributes play into the way people drive? If I can, I tell a European driver from a from a Bronx driver. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, there's some people say that you know the the, the higher uh, manual shift you know 
percentages that you see in Europe. I mean, if you if you go to Rome, I mean, people people seem to think of America. I mean, I was just talking about LA drivers being faster, but some Europeans think of American driving as almost slower in a way because I mean, it might be a visual illusion or because the cars are are larger, automatic shift. You don't quite get some of the tight handling and, and quick shifting, and their small, smaller cars look like they're going faster as well, just sort of a classic illusion. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, but on, on that question of honking, one, one further thing to consider is that, uh, I mean, I did see a study from a guy named uh, Levine who wrote a book called The Geography of Time, mm-hmm. talking about the pace of life. He did a survey of American cities, and, and New York had the highest pace of life. L.A. actually was in the 20s on that, so... You, you could, it could just equate to people being in a hurry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering. I'm wondering. We're speaking with Tom Vanderbilt. The book is Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do, and what it says about us. I'm wondering, sort of this, I, mean, I was getting at with my other question, that's sort of the cultural divide, if there is one, such a way to put it, uh, between New York and Los Angeles. But there's also sort of a historic anecdote that I want to touch on, and that is uh, back 10, 15 years ago, there was a uh, uh, a series of, shootings on the Los Angeles freeways where people were literally just gunning at each other. Uh, and um, I wonder if that is in, in the back of some people's minds, even today. It's like when I saw Jaws, I'm still afraid to go in the water kind of thing, where uh, you still think that there there's people out there who would react in such a hyper-violent way to some traffic maneuver that you might might have gotten yourself into. You think that's at all in play when people in Los Angeles or anywhere else maybe uh, comes into it? It could be. I mean, yeah, and then the same way you suggest, you know, shark attacks and the like linger in our yeah. imagination. Yeah. And um, I mean, I did see a statistic that slightly less than one percent of all homicides in California occur, you know, basically on the road. And, and given the sheer amount of driving, yeah. I, I wonder if that's almost lower than it should be. Uh, <laughs> given given if you, where people are spending their time in California. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it, again, it's novel, the, the, it stands out in our mind. So a, 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 a homicide on the road, I think, is basically worth 10 off-road homicides in terms of news coverage. I mean, I'm just making that up. But right, there, right. There's a, you don't hear about all the other ones, in the, but these things make national news. Yeah, yeah, we had, yeah, and, and there have been clusters of these. We had them many years ago, and then I'd say, what was it, 10 years ago, we had another cluster of them, and I, I, I wonder just how that plays on people's minds, but... You know, there's there's something I've got to ask about. Uh, you mentioned psychological traffic calming in your book. Mm-hmm. In other words, I, and I think that more like uh, uh, speed bumps and things like that. Uh, several years ago, we had a guest on, on our show who was talking about the possibility of well, those sorts of things not don't work, is what he was saying. Signs that have children playing on them really don't work. What you really need are children playing in a neighborhood to slow traffic down. That, that people in general see caution signs, and they don't sink in as well. Is there any truth to that? I think so, and that sounds like David Engwicht, perhaps? Yeah, yes, very good. Right. Absolutely, we yeah, had him I mean, on, yeah. He's, he's definitely, yeah, he's a, a huge figure in this. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, in the MUTCD, which is the official, you know, sort of Bible of traffic signs for engineers, they, if you look up the slow children sign, it comes with this sort of, you know, huge warning sign of its own saying that's really no longer... Uh, What's the word? It's no longer standard. It's not really, it's not really encouraged um, mm. it, because it's basically not been shown to work. I mean, when they set up a radar gun or whatever, and, and people don't reduce their speed at all, they don't really seem to change their behavior. And uh, you know, I think 
for a lot of people, it's just when we were when when I was a kid, we would just sort of joke about those signs and say, uh-huh. "Oh, a slow child lives here." You know, <laughs> yeah. sort of ridiculous joke, but you know, um, he, he's exactly right. You know, how many times you drive down and not see any kids? You see the sign, so each time you drive past that sign, I think it almost just speaks to its own, you know, lack of utility, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's going to anger some people too. I know there there are some neighborhoods here in Irvine where we are. Who who have taken it upon themselves to put up their own signs? They put about, a pylon up that yeah. says "Children at play in the middle of your street." In the middle of the street, yeah. And now this wouldn't be on a major boulevard, but nevertheless, you're turning a corner and you see someone's pylon in the middle of the street. It might, after the fourth or fifth day, make you edgy. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't. Maybe their children are safer, safer, but others might not be. After <laughs> Just that. your reaction. Yeah. yeah, and there's that classic <laughs> issue that you know, if you're supposed to drive a little bit slower near the school, then you basically speed up everywhere else. Yeah. You know, you just sort of raise the risk for everyone else. But yeah. uh, some people in Seattle did buy some uh, their own tr- uh, speed plastic speed bumps from Costco and, and kind of put them out on the road. And of course, the local engineers came by and took them up immediately because yeah. they weren't compliant. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that brings up, the, I mean, something I alluded to earlier is sort of this idea of us taking the justice into our own hands when it comes to traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there we do have, you know, an impulse. I do have an impulse to, if I see somebody coming up behind me going a lot faster than the speed limit, I might slow down to prevent them from continuing to go 95 miles an hour past me. And there is that impulse. We have that sort of desire to control uh, these these traffic patterns. Yeah, and I think um, Americans, you know, we tend to get hung up on, uh, on on rights or the idea that rights are granted to us by by law. And yeah, I, I do find in other countries people are a little bit more just confrontational on, on the one-on-one basis about something like that behavior describing. Whereas in Italy, someone will just drive up to within an inch of your bumper and basically force you over. And most people don't seem to fight it; they just sort of move over. Mm. Uh, whereas I think people here might have a sense, well, you know, I'm driving the speed limit. Why should I be forced to move? Yeah. Um, just... Relying more, more on this sort of law from above rather than individual negotiation. Not well, saying that that's a good thing. Or... Uh, as my last question here would be, what can we do? What can we do to be better drivers? Because I, I go out there on the road all the time, and, and there's, there's not, not a time I hit the road, and I, I've tried to be a better driver myself, but, but I don't see someone or, or some situation that could have been completely avoided that, that is uh, a very troublesome sight. Is it, do we have to change as a culture, or can there be certain laws put into effect that would ease that? good question and it would probably require another show yeah. to work through all the <laughs> solutions but you know just uh i think if we just had awareness of something, i mean maybe going back to education kind of broadening the what driver's education actually is getting beyond just simple you know sort of laws and rules and mechanical motions and getting to some of yes. the perceptual issues about how you know Exactly. Yeah. Some of the and end of the day, some of the issues are still as simple as getting people to put their seatbelt on and uh, yeah. not drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> some of this isn't rocket science. Yeah. Well, uh, this is a terrific book, and uh, um, well, I want to before I let you get away, uh, I wanted to more. I just want to point out that you're also the author of a, a terrific book, Survival City, in which you took a tour of some of the more notorious uh, outposts of the nuclear age. 
Yes, a driving tour. Driving tour, <laughs> and uh, I thought uh, people should know about that as well. I, w- I wish we'd had a little bit of time to talk a little bit about that, but we didn't. We had a, uh, The book is tra- uh, Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do, and What It Says About Us. Tom Vanderbilt, thank you for being here on Weekly Signals. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.